Giddy up! It is Sunday, May 22nd, 2016, and this is episode 161 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Did, did you just say giddy up? I did. Are, are you okay? Yeah. Did, yeah. Are you having any symptoms of a stroke? Mm, no. Did you recently fall and hit your head? Yes. All right, good. Well, we'll dispatch EMS as soon as we're done recording the show. I'm good. How are you? Fabulous. I uh, we're actually recording on a proper day. I know. Been a while, and I won't even be here next week. So I'm going to California for a couple days. We're gonna get a stunt lurk. <laughs> I will warn the listeners now. I, I my twitters will be a tweeting next Tuesday, the May thirty first. Is that right? Yeah, uh, for a NASA event I will be at. So I'll warn some people on Twitter too, but... So you're going to visit Uranus? No, anyway. Um, by the way, we've been nominated for an award. Best EU Security Podcast, or actually Best Security Podcast at the EU Blogger Awards. That's crazy. I know. Uh, and by the way, we can never get enough... Uh, internet points. We are like internet point whores, so please vote for us. The, the link will be in the show notes. <laughs> it's true. Um, and it's, on that note, by the way, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Mom, I'm sorry. I've become a whore. I'm sorry. It's internet points, man. Te- technically, we're sluts because we're not paying for it. <sighs> true. True. Although, I mean, unless you consider this sort of a trade of services. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, quid, quid pro quo, right? Or bartering horse? Yeah. I don't know. This is just, we should just move on. This is a terrible line of discussion. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yes, our first story for today comes from CSO Online, and the title is Cyber Criminals Are Increasingly Embracing a Sophisticated Business Model Approach. And uh, this this comes in response to a uh, report by Hewlett Packard Enterprises called The Business of Hacking. And in it, they describe basically the... the uh, uh, corporatification, if that's a word, of of organized crime and how there are HR departments and recruiters and background checks involved in uh, in these these hacking collectives now, and and they have in-house training and even disaster recovery programs and and are offering twenty-four by seven uh, phone support for their uh, their their stuff, and they they have marketing departments that help uh, sell their exploit kits and stolen data to to brokers and third parties and you know the whole point is that this is becoming a very large business and um you know as defenders our job is getting more and more difficult 
Um, I, you know, I, I, I am left wondering though. Yeah. In, in, when they say background checks, like, are they trying to filter, are they they looking for people who have no criminal history and they're like, oh, sorry, (laughs) you know, you, you you didn't make the cut, right? you know, and, and do they have internal audit? (laughs) And if they have internal audit, do they like make sure there's a certain amount of evil present on the network? It could be. I, you know, a couple of thoughts. The background checks could be to make sure that you're not just a white hat pretending to be a black hat. Right. Right. Or, you know, that makes some, sense. Some, some law enforcement officer trying to wiggle your way in. So they're looking for at least a minimum of two felonies, probably. And it's good if you fail your drug test, probably. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Right. I would think, but you know, nothing probably thrills an uber elite black hat hacker more than having to fill out his TPS reports on a weekly basis. I got to think that's just that's that's a good point. Do they embrace agile? I mean, do they do they do they have you know, management fads that they have to? Go How does elite speak work well in that corporate environment? I don't know. Question. And and you know, is there is there uh, you know? Equal opportunity and, and minority representation. There are so many questions that I just, I'm left wondering after I read this. Dude, your last staff meeting was so elite. Dude. Anyway, that. I No, okay. In all seriousness, this does make perfect sense. There's money to be made. Much like the mob did, quote unquote, organized crime, the more organized you can get, the more efficient you can get, the more money you can make as a bad guy. So, yes. Why not? Right. It, it's, the challenge you have is the personalities involved. So, but clearly they've got to a point now where, where they have enough of a financial incentive that it makes perfect sense to organize in this way. We've seen this coming for a while. People selling, selling exploit kits and selling, you know, giving you guarantees on zero days and that sort of stuff. It's, it's a business. So bureaucracy starts building around business as a way to become more efficient at said business. Well, I, I think that's right. And the thing that concerns me about about the trend, and you know, certainly we don't have really any context of how much cybercrime is is under the banner of these, you know, really organized evil corporations. Um, but, you know, you, you can kind of see that corporations, at least in, you know, in in much of the world are big, you know, I, I won't say sources of innovation but refiners of technology and you know in disseminators of technology and so it it seems like one of the macro trends that we have to to be aware of as part of this is you know the techniques are going to become much more homogenous there's going to be a lot of innovation and as that innovation comes up it's going to be propagated throughout the world or throughout the the underground i should say and and um, this is going to make it difficult for us. We need to uh, we need to to put our, our 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 big defender pants on. And this is why we need more audit and oversight in yeah. our IT defensive groups. I believe and more auditors checking on us. I think would help. And guard llamas. Guard llamas. It's true. It's true. Maybe if we had enough ocelots that we could tell them the llamas were actually where the bad guys are. We could dispatch a fleet of be rabid like a, ocelots. Be like a red team of ocelots. That's true. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's um, I, that's the happy 
the happiness for us. Uh, you know, it, it kind of does. Here's the, the uh, boy, let me collect my thoughts for a second. You know, I, I've been a, a big skeptic of the whole threat intelligence movement and whatnot and information sharing and whatnot is, is, you know, oh my gosh, it's going to save everything. But to an extent, I think I'm starting to see some logic in this when you start to think about things through this lens, right? As, as these tactics and techniques are, are, are permeating throughout multiple organizations, it, it, it does become important to have insight into those things. So, uh, anyway, beat that one to death. So our next story comes from Yahoo News. Uh, by the way, it surprised me too that a Yahoo News story showed up here. That is true. It's, yeah. a, little, it's a little rare. Yeah. So uh, the title is Cyber Thieves Exploit Banks' Faith in Swift Transfer Network. So interestingly, we, this is the ongoing saga of the Swift uh, Network. Some some new details have come to light in the form of a lawsuit. So a, a bank in Ecuador, Banco del Ostro, or affectionately known as BDA, not the not that BDA, the other one, or the airport code for Bermuda International Airport. Yeah, it's also BDA. True. Uh, anyway, uh, BDA in back in January 2015 apparently had tw- uh, $12 million stolen from them. Um, actually, it's not entirely clear to me the total amount. Wells Fargo transferred. They, Wells Fargo received transfer requests totaling $12 million from BDA over the SWIFT network and facilitated those uh, over the course of 10 days. They were they were able to claw back I think about a million dollars. Um, and so BDA is suing Wells Fargo in uh, in New York, I believe. Not entirely clear to me exactly where, but uh, they're suing they're suing Wells Fargo, saying that uh, Wells Fargo needs to remunerate them for the the money that was lost. And uh, Wells Fargo, of course, is saying, you know, too bad, so sad. You should probably have had a little better security on your end because you know we just fulfilled your orders. Uh, so kind of interesting thing that's emerging here is that the the techniques used in this attack were similar but different i mean considerably different that's helpful well so exactly the same but completely different well the, it it was the same in that they were transferring money to to bogus accounts through the swift network uh, what was different though was that apparently in the, in the case of BDA, uh, some malware was used to steal the credentials, the Swift credentials, of a, a BDA employee, and then uh, I'm assuming this 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 is where it kind of gets a little bit murky. Uh, someone using those credentials uh, basically took out some took went and found some uh, old, canceled and and rejected transactions. In this, in this, the BDA Swift inbox, outbox, outbox, sorry, and uh, and modified, you know, the the amounts in the uh, the payee, and resubmitted it, and you know, sure enough, they were uh, they were honored, and um, that's a little bit different than what we saw with some of the more recent attacks, 
So it's not clear if this is the same actor or maybe the techniques have been refined, but you know, the, the ones that we've been talking about were towards the end of last year and early this year. Yeah, this is certainly a far less sophisticated attack, but clearly just as effective. Yes. Small amounts. I, I, what I find really interesting about this is who owns the liability around this. And, you know, these two guys suing each other is interesting about this. And Swift is kind of standing out going, hey, not us, not us. The right. fact that we've got uh, password credentials that are being captured and replayed tell me that uh, clearly this is a single factor password environment. I have no idea if two-factor could even be implemented. I don't know. This could be a whole bunch of automated systems on the back end. But we clearly have a single-factor environment, which scares the hell out of me when you're talking about this kind of uh, control over this amount of money. But when we're, we want to do business as fast as we can as a culture and as a society, and we keep going faster and faster. So what I see here is this entire banking organization transferred all risk management and all liability in their head and all concern about accuracy to the SWIFT network and automatically honored anything that came over the proper SWIFT network as, as accurate and non-fraudulent, which in some ways may make sense. They say we've been doing this for 40 years. That clearly has to come to an end. There's, there's some systemic issues going on here. And I think we talk about this in, in another one of our, our, our articles or in this one. We don't really know how many of these are going on because not every bank is reporting these to the SWIFT organization. Yeah, and, that, and that's actually a, a lot of what this particular article talks about is how banks are very hesitant to share, to, to discuss this with anybody, including SWIFT, because there's fear that it will, you know, bring bring down some regulatory hammers on them. And, you know, they, they probably, I'm sure, feel like they they have enough uh, love from <laughs> regulators as it is, and so they, they really don't want any more. Uh, but I think you made a really good point that they are... Uh, everybody seems to be pointing to somebody else in terms of who's responsible here. You know, right. um, you know, the BDA seems to be saying, well, it's Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is saying, no, it's, it's BDA. Swift is saying, I don't know what the heck's going on here. Um, You know, I, I think Swift's perspective is probably that it's really on BDA given that they didn't say that, but just given what they have that, that, st- stated in previous... That appears to be the state of this system, that the originator of the request is responsible for making sure that that request is authentic and valid. Right. Um, but if we're going to go down this path of doing more verification and authorization, it's going to slow down this entire system. Yeah, and what's, what's and interesting... I, I don't know that these banks are willing to accept that. Yeah. It, it, what, what seems to be emerging is that there needs to be a similar kind of anti-fraud or fraud detection system on the receiving bank as there is in other kinds of bank transactions. It seems like just from, from this particular story in the, in the previous few, there's a, when, when a swift, uh, you know, when the, the, the receiving bank gets a swift transfer notice, they basically fulfill it unless there's something wrong with it. Like, they misspelled the payee. Um, they just fulfill it. There's no. There doesn't appear to be any, uh, you know, any kind of anti-fraud or, or or analytics applied to it. And I I wonder if that's something that's 
you know, in in the future. However, it all all fingers seem to be pointing back to the originating bank. You know, there was a story which we don't have covered here tonight about the um, I think it's the Central Bank of England is starting to get into um, you know the, the bank's knickers there about what they're doing to protect their their swift terminals so i you know it, that seems like it's probably going to be a trend that's that that is uh is going to pick up but the challenge is there is no central regulator right there's no it's it's every man for himself or every man country woman child for himself it seems like yeah, it's it's a tough one, but I think this is probably going to drive change. And, and here's something we mentioned briefly the last time we talked about this. I wonder if this has been going on for a while, and it's now just sort of bubbling up to to the media, and so this is probably going to drive change. It's I, but the, it's I wonder, the shark story, shark attack story. Yeah, but to some extent, it's also giving air cover for all these other banks to go come out and say, "Yeah, yeah, us too." Could be, and and see if that drives some some new behavior around this. It's. It's scary. I, I, you know, if you're a bank, you really need to be looking at your SWIFT systems right now, because uh, there clearly is an easy way for somebody to not easy, but if somebody pops those, they can transfer money and it's gone. It doesn't seem to be a way to recover it. So there's a very, very high incentive behind doing it. Yeah. So. Indeed. All right. Moving on to our next story. This one comes from securityweek.com, and the title is Google Soon to Kill SSL v3 RC4 Support in Gmail. It's a little bit different than the normal stories we talk about. You know, th- this has been in the in the coming for a long, long time, but the story here is that Google is no longer going to be supporting SSL v3 or RC4 in, in any of their properties, right? So their Gmail and, and website and whatnot. Uh, what... The reason I wanted to talk about it is that there's a there's a really fundamental problem uh, in technology today, and this SSL v3 in particular is 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 really highlighting it. And um, in security in particular, I've I've seen this becoming a big problem. You know, we have a lot, uh, especially if you're if you're in a larger company, you have a lot of infrastructure and a lot of the infrastructure for better or for worse has java based interfaces and uh, for example uh, if you have something that is key to your environment and it only supports ssl v3 right now you're uh, now basically in the case of java you're forced to run unsupported unpatched vulnerable versions of java and the thing that concerns me is that going forward this is just one particular case i think in as time goes on we're going to keep seeing these problems and it seems to me that as an industry we've got to get a lot better about this particular problem of of things that are common and pervasive in our infrastructure suddenly being unsupported yeah, it's it's a huge problem, by the way, in the banking industry right now. Um, and I work in that industry, and I work for a credit card processor, so I can't really talk about work stuff. 
you know, there's some ethics and integrity issues around that. But uh, in general, if you go look at what's going on with PCI and you look at them pushing protocols like this, these protocol upgrades, which are necessary, the pushback coming from the industry at large, and I'm not speaking of my own organization, but the industry at large, is they have all these credit card terminals out there in the world that are, you know, the first version of the Internet of Things, if you will, uh, that are small computers that only have capability for certain types of protocols, and they cannot be easily upgraded in the field. So they were designed with this concept, um, and definitely it is a problem to go upgrade them. They were not designed to be modular enough to be upgraded by, you know, easy, you know, push a firmware update kind of thing. So you've got a problem. I mean, and this is this is a, another example of, of that sort of thing. I think we're going to run into the same thing. What happens when your Nest thermostat um, or some other device that is a, a small firmware uh, ages out on its various protocols? Sorry, I clearly should not be watching Twitter while I'm trying to talk because I'm distracting myself. Um <laughs> I'm, we're talking BSG on Twitter, so that of course has my attention. I shouldn't be doing that while we're recording a show, but damn it, Kelly! I know, I know, but BSG was so good. All right, so what happens when you've got some Internet of Thing device that gets abandoned by the manufacturer, or they force you into an upgrade? Or we're going to be running into these issues. There's no way that we can design a protocol right now that's going to be forever safe. We're going to keep having these problems. We're going to keep eroding the security of these devices uh, based on the protocols that they're using for their encryption as our computers get faster and we get smarter. So this is going to continually happen. So the best advice I can give is you've got to make these modular and easy to upgrade. Yeah, and and I think have contingencies for when you end up with you know, with some kind of a... a you know, a, a catch-22. And, and unfortunately, there's really no good solid advice for that. I think things like VDI are, are often really about the only thing that you have to point to. Uh, but even that's not a perfect solution. It, 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 this is just something that I, I, I'm seeing, especially in the context of large organizations. This is a really big problem, and it's, and it's getting bigger. And... You know, you just keep waiting for the next shoe to drop. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a constant, constant problem. I don't see it ever going away. I, I tell you, people struggle with it. Uh, people struggle with doing forklift upgrades, just getting rid of, just doing ciphers. You know, it's interesting. People get their head around SSL v3 and TLS 1.0 and 1.1. They have trouble getting their head around the cipher streams and realizing that some are more secure than others and. Uh, it's a complicated, you know, and this is one thing that I think if you've got a lot of web properties in your environment, you're probably better off fronting all those web properties with some sort of um, load balancer or other TLS termination device that you can manage all this in one spot than trying to manage, you know, 18 web boxes or however many you have on the back end. Right. Uh, it, it's a complicated thing, but we've got to start designing and thinking about our infrastructures with this sort of modular upgrade in mind because this is going to keep happening. I don't see this going away. And if you build it once, and you know most people don't even think about this problem, we're we're getting slapped around right now. We've got a lot more risk out there than we need to because it's really difficult for some organizations to upgrade and move away from these old protocols. Everyone's like, just turn it off, turn on the new stuff. What's the big deal? There's a crap load of dependencies for a lot of these organizations. Exactly. Exactly right. 
So moving on to our next story. That was just my, my, I felt like complaining today. So there you go. Next story comes from threatpost.com. Microsoft warns of sneaky new macro attack. Kind, kind of uh, clever. Basically, um, the, the, the macro effectively uh, hides the URL. So it's, the macro basically is a downloader, right? So it's, it's uh, intending to reach out to the internet, pull down some malware that the, the novel component here is that the URL is stored as an encrypted value as the name of a button in in the uh, uh, you know basically in in a, a form. So you know the when the macro is launched, it basically grabs the name of this button, decrypts it. That's the URL that it goes off and downloads uh, all of all things locky. So. This is now how you're getting lucky, by the way. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, um, man. I, there, there, by the way, I think there's a, there's a lot of information these days about how to disable macros uh, across your environment, and I, I will encourage you to go and look up look up how to do that. Although. Again, you're probably going to get your hand slapped because everybody likes their macros. So, uh, moving on to our next story, and th- this one is, uh, you know, speaking of ransomware, comes from Network World. Kansas Heart Hospital hit with ransomware paid, but attackers demanded second ransom. Oh, oh, dun, dun, dun. oh my goodness! Here we go. This, well, whew, yeah. This, this, and this, by the way, is what was always the basis of ransomware is that there was some, you know, honor among thieves. If you pay, you'll get your files back. Yeah, but you know what? What's interesting, though, is that it's this kind of behavior that's going to kill ransomware Uh, as a a thing, right? Because... Well, kill people being willing to pay? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and if if people aren't willing to pay, then then it's not a profitable business. And so, from that perspective, if you really wanted to, uh, you know, if, if if you were, what 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 they would call it, you know, a chaotic uh, neutral or maybe chaotic good kind of person, maybe you come up with your own ransomware that get gets propagated out, and then you would never ever, uh, you know, you would accept the 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 Bitcoin but not decrypt. You know, it's, so anyway. Uh, this article, by the way, I thought was really interesting, it, f- especially for for Network World, which is usually a pretty reputable uh, article. It's very unkind towards the uh, the hospital president. Quite quite a few uh, digs on on the uh, the president in this this particular article, um, kind of questioning his his uh, technical know how, but uh, basically the. You know, it's not very clear exactly what happened. Uh, if if the bank had, you know, I guess exactly how much money was paid, how much data was lost, were they ever able to get the data back? Don't really know. What we do know is apparently some amount of data was was encrypted with ransomware. They paid a ransom, and then the attackers said, "No, we want more," and they decided not to pay. So it's not very clear exactly. Uh, you know what what was going on behind the scenes. We do know, apparently, this particular hospital did not shut itself down like some of the other hospitals we've talked about in the past. Uh, 
So apparently it wasn't as uh, quite as serious as uh, some of the others. So yeah, it was um, kind of interesting. They also mentioned the uh, the big news was that Tesla Crypt was apparently put out to pasture and yeah, I guess the the bad guys had a change of heart and and released a master key, which you know by the way it's very interesting that there's a master key for uh, for some of this ransomware. Yeah, which seems risky at time. You know, if that ever leaked or somebody ever discovered that, that's kind of risky. But nobody said bad guys had to be perfectly smart all the time. Well, yeah, you know, gives a gives gives an out, right? So. Yep. Uh, actually, I think that's the that's the last story. Oh my gosh, we're. I know. Well, we you know we just did a, a big show on Wednesday, so. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's uh, like I said, that's it for for this week. We appreciate your time, and uh, you know, give us a give us a vote. If you, that that would be really awesome. Couple of shout outs. Oh, you know, there was one thing we were going to talk about: um, the Microsoft new sneaky macro trick. We we did. We did. We did. Yeah, we you're did. right. I'm dead. Dead. Sorry, I was just looking at my notes, and I got them out of order. Um. So O'Reilly conference in October in New York. Uh, we will be there. We're in theory, at last I heard, going to be running the Ignite track. Be there or be square. Which should be fun. That's the sort of five-minute lightning talks that the slides auto advance and you know, kind of crazy fun times for that sort of thing. Uh, what else is shaking? Uh, DerbyCon. You're going to DerbyCon, right? In I September. Most certainly am. I don't think I'll be making DerbyCon, unfortunately, uh, due to imminent wedding issues around that that timeline. But uh, issues, huh? Well, you know, anticipating last minute. Mm. I get it. No, no, I get it. I got it. You'll be okay. <laughs> You'll have friends there. <laughs> I get it. Uh, what else? Uh, thank you to our Patreon donors. You guys are awesome. Yes. And we're still humbled. And by the way, Jerry's hoarded all of that money. I think he's buying an island to become a Bond supervillain, I believe is what's going on there. Gotta have a place for the llamas. <laughs> what other shout-outs do we want to give? Uh, thank you for giving us iTunes ratings. Yes. That's awesome. And thank you to those who have sent us emails. I'm, I'm still working through most of them. I've responded to almost all, but there's a few that I haven't. And uh, yeah, if you if you do like the show, give us uh, you know give us some love on iTunes. That's the, you know more internet points the better, makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, if you uh, if you have any questions or comments, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. You can find links to all the stories we talked about tonight and to where you can vote, by the way, for our podcast uh, at www.defensivesecurity.org. And uh, you can follow the podcast, by the way, on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Cal on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And with that, we will talk again next week. Or actually, uh, well, one of us will. You'll be off gallivanting around California. So I will. I'm going to be in L.A. for a couple of days and then out at Edwards Air Force Base for a couple of days. So uh, if you're interested in that, by the way, just off topic it's an aviation related thing uh i you might want to mute me on twitter's next tuesday uh if not i'm going to be there for a nasa event they're going to be doing some sonic boom testing so in theory we'll get to tour the uh, nasa armstrong facility at edwards air force base and witness f-18 doing supersonic uh basically sonic boom testing uh, all for nasa to try to reduce the 
felt and heard effects of a sonic boom so we can do more, more supersonic flight over populated areas. So I will be there as a social media kind of reporter type, so I'll be tweeting furiously throughout the day. So I apologize if that annoys you. I will give fair warning and tell you what the uh, hashtag is if you want to mute the hashtag only. Uh, but you may like it. I don't know. And you may find something interesting and, and hopefully educational, and then maybe NASA will, will invite me to the next cool thing. So are you going to like be holding a cup of coffee like the, the Top Gun scene? When they... Every morning. No, no. I mean, when they come over ahead and do the sonic boom, you know, the... Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Um, that would be funny, though. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, too. I, I would, you know, I'll have to work on that. Mm-hmm. And it was just the uh, 30th anniversary of Top Gun. We are old. Holy crap. All right, well, that's it for tonight. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. But you're in the way of my dinner, so we should do it. Oh, that. yeah, sorry. I didn't, well, I didn't know, you know that. For f**k's sake! God damn it! If you tell me these things, well, no, I you know it was good, good little chat. I just realized I'm hungry. Wow. Well, this should be a good show then. Fuck you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye now. Bye bye. 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 Bye bye.